a little worried after the time we spent in the book of Mark that my Bible is going to, of its own accord, jump back to Mark in the middle of my sermon. Galatians chapter 1. We're starting a new series on Galatians. Be reading verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you'll join with me in prayer, let's pray. Our God, we do pray that we would reflect your glory back to you as people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he gave himself uh, for. We thank you that he gave himself for our sins. We thank you that he delivered us from the present evil age. And now we belong to that age which is to come. Help us to live in its power by the Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Reformation Sunday. And if you ask, what is Reformation Sunday? Well, in 1517, a young monk named Martin Luther nailed a document to a door in the town of Wittenberg. And this document had 95 statements, or 95 theses, that proved that the Roman Catholic practice of selling indulgences was an unbiblical and evil practice. These indulgences supposedly allowed your, your dead loved ones to get out of purgatory more quickly. And purgatory was a concept, you won't find it in the Bible. It was, uh, dare I say, invented um, by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but it's a concept that they came up with because they believe that salvation is a cooperation between God and man. Jesus did his part on the cross. He, he died on the cross for sins. He rose from the dead. But then the Roman Catholic Church taught that uh, we have to do our part. We have to do our part morally. We have to do our part religiously. And um, this is something of an oversimplification, but I think at the heart of it, it is um, it's absolutely true that uh, this is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. So, uh, the inference or the implication is that if you did not quite measure up, um, even though Jesus died and rose and you did your part, but your part didn't quite measure up, then you were sent to purgatory to burn off or to pay for your remaining impurity and imperfection. 
also a, a saying, I, I can't remember how it went in German, uh, but it translates nicely in English. When a coin in the coffer cleans, another soul from purgatory springs. Because see, at the time, back in the 1500s, the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Church, was trying to raise money to uh, build St. Peter's Basilica. And so the way they were raising money, where they, they went out, they sent the priest out to raise money by allowing a person to do some good works and to pay some money to spring their loved ones from heaven. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk, but he came to question this practice because in studying the scriptures, he realized that no person can earn or purchase or even deserve forgiveness of sins. He realized from studying Romans chapters 1 through 3, we read Romans 3 in our responsive reading, uh, just by way of parenthesis. Uh, Martin Luther, even though he was a monk, um, he realized that he did not need to remain celibate, that he could uh, get married. He married Catherine von Bora. And uh, he said later in his life, even though he loved his wife, he loved Romans, the third chapter, even more. Because in that chapter, he found out that God loves him. And that God loved him even when he was ungodly. That God loved him so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross in his place. To be his substitute. That Jesus took his sins upon himself. That that Jesus took Martin Luther's sins upon himself. And paid the price. Uh, that he could never have paid, that never could be paid by spending time in purgatory, and certainly could not be paid by loved ones giving some money um, to the church. A person can only be justified before God. A person can only be forgiven of their sins through Jesus Christ alone, what Martin Luther calls a passive righteousness. A righteousness that Jesus gives us and we receive by faith alone. It's appropriate that we're beginning this new series on Galatians on Reformation Sunday because the theme of Galatians is justification by faith. And to bring Galatians and Reformation Sunday together, I've included in your bulletin a little treat. Uh, it is Luther's preface to the uh, to Galatians. Uh, I've given you an edited version. It was edited by Tim Keller, a PCCA pastor up in New York. I want to encourage you. Read this document closely. And if you don't understand it, call me. I'd love to talk to you about it. And read it devotionally. Read it closely. Read it prayerfully. It can be very, it will be very life transforming if you don't understand what, how your, your works relate to your faith. Um, I found it very edifying for my own study. 
Well, let's look at the book of Galatians. First of all, we're going to, this sermon's going to be basically an introduction to the book, but we're going to look at these first five verses. So when we look at the, uh, the first ber- verse, we see Paul uh, giving a greeting, but this is not his typical greeting. All of Paul's other letters start off with effusive love for the people that he's writing to. He usually writes um, how, how he longs for them, how he's thankful for them, for their faith, and he goes about half the chapter. And, and through the, the first half of um, the first chapter of most of his letters, it's all hugs and kisses, chocolates and flowers. But we don't have any of that here in Galatians. In fact, it's very abrupt. Paul, and literally in the Greek it says, Paul, apostle, not for men. He's abrupt. In fact, one commentator said that Paul is writing in a very bare-knuckled fashion. Another commentator said that Paul opens with more argumentation than salutation. What, what Paul's doing here, to borrow a phrase from one of my movies that I really like, is the Godfather. Paul's going to the mats. He is he is angry, and he is um, he is loaded for bear. And so this is what so you you can you can hear some of the terseness. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Why is he opening up? so strongly? Why is he being so short, so terse? Was it because his apostleship and therefore his authority was being challenged? Well, his apostleship and his authority were being challenged, but that's not the reason for the tone in his voice. Was it because he was being lied about? Well, he was being lied about by people in the Galatian church, but that's not the reason why he opens this letter uh, in the way he does. There were false teachers who had moved into the Galatian churches after Paul had left. They were challenging his authority. They were questioning his character. But they were doing so in order that they might undermine his message. Paul could stand being lied about. He could stand being undermined in his authority, but the message that he was preaching, the message of God's gospel of grace in Jesus Christ was too important to leave undefended. Paul's anger here in the scriptures, and we're going to meet this anger at later points in the book of Galatians. His anger is not his alone. His anger is an inspired anger. His anger reflects the anger of Jesus Christ. Paul, what Paul wrote and the way he wrote it, the tone he used, is the exact tone that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted him to strike. Through Paul's emotions... We see the Lord Jesus' emotions. Paul's anger 
reflects Jesus' anger. Jesus will not stand for his gospel to be distorted or compromised. Do you want to see the seriousness with which Jesus takes the, the gospel? Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This word accursed be translated anathema could be translated damned that is how angry Paul is at these false teachers who would come in to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and distort the gospel these false teachers were Judaizing false teachers and they had come in as I said after Paul had um, left the area and what they wanted to do was they wanted these Gentile believers these new believers in Christ to follow Jewish customs in other words what they were teaching is that before a Gentile could become a Christian he first had to become a Jew so if you are a Gentile convert to Christ they would come in and teach if you were a male that you had to be circumcised or if you were a Gentile convert to Christ they would teach that you have to follow the dietary laws you had to eat what was only lawful for Jews to eat you had to become a Jew and so that's what they were saying and this was leading to divisions and confusion in the church the division and the confusion I'm sure upset Paul but what most had his ire what caused him to write the letter what caused him to use the tone that he used is they were teaching Jesus plus what do I mean by that well Jesus plus anything else is a perversion of the gospel if I were to stand up and tell you that you can't be a Christian until after you start paying your full tithe I would be adding to the gospel or you can't be a Christian unless you read your Bible every day or you can't be a Christian unless you pray every day it's Jesus alone Jesus plus nothing else all of your righteousness that you need and you do need righteousness to stand before God Jesus has given you he has given you the full account of his righteousness that Billy has been teaching our young people now I know we have some seminary grads we have visiting with us they seem to be seminary grads so I need to mention this um, who were the Galatians well they were Paul's spiritual children Paul led the Galatians to Christ on his first missionary journey and so there's a big debate there's been a lot of ink spilled did Paul by the Galatian churches did he mean the North Galatian churches 
who ended up moving the, the Gauls who were the Galatians who moved over to England, Scotland, or did he mean the South Galatian churches? Uh, there has been, like I said, a lot of ink spilled among conservative writers, among conservative commentators, and I was brought kicking and straining to the South Galatian view because I, I held strongly before this study uh, to the North Galatian view. And so uh, what I mean by the South Galatian view is that Paul came through. The Galatian churches are the churches that Paul started in Pisidian Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, and Derby. In other words, you can read about these churches, you can read about how Paul preached to them in Galatians chapter, I mean in, in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And then after he left, then that's when the, the false teachers came in, began confusing them. So that occasioned Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, and the letter that resulted was sent to the Galatian churches and other Gentile churches. And then he came back around and visited the Galatian churches, which were uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And we read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. All that to say, uh, I know that it's very important for those of you who who know the issues to know where I stand on the issue. So I I think he's writing about the South Galatian view, and apparently, even though this letter was sent from Acts in Acts 15, the Gentiles continued to be swayed by the Judaizers. So this is the reason for Paul's letter being written. What is the theme of the letter? The theme of the letter is the gospel of grace. We see several very important statements here in verses 1 through 5. In verse 1, we see Paul making this statement that Jesus um, was raised from the dead. In verse 4, we see this uh, statement that Jesus gave himself for our sins. We see also in verse 4 that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Uh, And we see uh, here that our salvation uh, results in glory to God alone. Uh, this first phrase in verse 1 about Jesus being raised from the dead, that's the resurrection. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. In verse 4, where he gave himself for our sins, those two acts, they were historical acts that Jesus performed. He died on the cross. He took our sins. He rose from the grave bodily for our justification. Those two acts alone are the summary of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Jesus' death on the cross, His rising from the dead on the third day, that is the gospel. Where is your part in the gospel? What did you do to help Jesus die on the cross? What did you do to help Him uh, be raised from the dead? What did you do to help God? All that you bring to the equation, you see in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. 
All that you brought to the equation was your sins. That's it. That is all you contributed to your salvation. He brought your sins. Jesus took your sins. He laid them on Himself. He became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ died for our sins. He did not die for our virtues. It is not your efficiencies, but your deficiencies which entitle you to the Lord Jesus. It is not your wealth, but your lack. It is not what you have, but what you have not. It is not what you can boast of, but what you can mourn over that qualifies you to receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to help God save you. And I know some of you are saying this is all very elementary. These are the ABCs of the Christian life. I've heard it once. I've heard it a thousand times. Jesus died for my sins. Paul is writing this letter not to unbelievers. He is writing it to believers. Look at verse 2. He says, To the churches of Galatia. And just to emphasize the the, uh, South Galatian view, it's not to one church called the church in Galatia. It was several churches to the churches in Galatia. He's writing... Not to the unbelievers in Galatia. He's writing to the churches. The gospel is for believers. And so Jesus came, it says in verse 4, to deliver himself, uh, I mean, sorry, to, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. You know, we do a lot of worrying about what, how evil the world is becoming. You know, what is our future here in America? We have no values. What is it going to be like for the next generation? Well, I've got some bad news. <laughs> the future is here. It is bad today. It will be bad in the future. It has been bad since Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate that fruit from the tree. Every age throughout history has been an evil age. Look at verse 4. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The age in which Paul was living was evil. The age in which we live is evil. The age in which our children and grandchildren will be evil. That's the bad news. (laughs) The future is here. The good news is Jesus came to deliver us from the present evil age. What is this present evil age? Well, it's a time of wickedness, of evil, of rebellion to God. That is what, when you look out at the world, that is what you see. Wickedness, evil, rebellion. When you look at history, that is what you see. Wickedness, evil, rebellion. You see sinners being who they are. It characterizes our our day. It characterizes our culture. It is characterized every day in every culture. And we all lived in it. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Remember how this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was us. If you were outside Jesus Christ, that is you. Christ came to rescue us from this present evil age. He came on a rescue mission. He came and He rescued us. And in rescuing us, He delivered us. Everybody who is forgiven of their sins... Everybody who rests in Jesus Christ has been delivered. You are delivered. You are free. Galatians chapter 5 said it is for freedom that Christ has come and set us free. And that is an already. It's not something in the future. He came and delivered you the moment that you trusted in Him. You don't have to wait for heaven to follow Jesus. You don't have to wait for heaven to love Him. You don't have to wait for heaven to be obedient to Him. You don't have to wait for heaven to stop living like you used to, regardless of your habits. You say, well, you don't know how how strong my habits, the, the grip of my habits have on me. You don't understand my upbringing and how godless or how, whatever, controlling or, or liberal or whatever my parents were. You don't understand how it is to live in this culture where there are no values. I do understand. All of us lived in that present in that that evil age but the good news is Jesus came by his death by his resurrection to deliver you you don't have to live like everybody else you don't have to live under the peer pressure I know that temptations abound. The media presents us a, a, a view of life where there are no morals, where there's no truth, and they present it in the most appealing way possible. You see it in the TV, you see it on the newspapers and magazines, you see it on the internet. You see this way of life, and it's and it's always tugging at your coattails. The commercials, every commercial, pulling at you, pulling at you. Come and experience. This appealing way of life that really is an evil, wicked, rebellious way of life. And so he's come to deliver us. Well, how do you live in this power? How do you have the power to overcome? Well, this is the, this is the message of the book of Galatians. Paul says, you are free from your sins. You say, but how does that give me power? Think about it. Every sin, every past sin, every present sin, every future sin 
has already been paid, have already been brought before the bar of God's justice through Jesus Christ. He paid it. And now when God sees you, He sees you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees you with the moral perfection of Jesus. I love the way Martin Luther puts it in his preface to Galatians. Now God sees no sin in us. For in this heavenly righteousness, sin has no place. Think about that. He sees no sin in you. Sin has no place if you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Secretly, I think, I know, not I think, I know, secretly, we believe we have to cooperate with God. We have to do our part before God will accept us. The secret of the gospel is that Jesus has done it all. You are free from your sins. Yes, you are still a sinner. Every act, every word, every thought, every motive that lies behind your thoughts are sinful, hopelessly sinful. You'll never measure up at your best. The message of the gospel is, that's right. So you can rest in Jesus Christ. I've got a quote on the front of the bulletin. I'm not going to take time to read it. It's from Tim Keller. It summarizes his thoughts. I'm going to keep it on the front of the bulletin for several weeks because I think it summarizes just about every message that I want to preach that that God would have us learn from the book of Galatians. But here's where I want to leave us this morning. I know that there are some of you here, maybe many of you, maybe all of you, who don't read your Bible as you should, don't pray as you know you should, who don't love your neighbor as you should, who don't lead in the house, in the home like you should, who don't submit to your spouse like you should, who live more like the world than you know you should, and secretly you think you've got to clear those issues up before God's going to really love you. And what ends up happening is Satan uses that to accuse you. He uses it to steal away your joy. He uses it to build in you a a fear of impending judgment. He steals away the sweetness of the Christian life, the joy of the Christian life, the peace of the Christian life, the peace of conscience of of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, If you are in Jesus Christ, all of your sins have been taken away and nailed to the cross. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. He empowers you and gives you the joy. He gives you the power to walk with Him. 
He gives you the power to live above this present evil age, to live in the power of the age to come. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus alone. When you're in the middle of the temptation, or when you're on the backside of the temptation and you've given in, that's when it's hard to believe it. That's when you need to believe it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus alone. This is the message of Galatians. Let's pray together. Father and our God, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that all of our sin, the unloving thoughts that we were thinking about our neighbors last night, as they came around um, to get candy, and uh, the children were were um, were not grateful. Uh, Father, the the uh, self-centered thoughts that we had toward our spouse, toward our children, self-centered thoughts that the children had for the parents, every sin has been taken away and nailed to the cross. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Father, I pray that by the power of the gospel, by Jesus who lives in our heart by His Spirit, that we would learn to believe the gospel, live in the power of it, live in the sweetness of it, live in the joy of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.